The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How are you doing this time of year? I hope this is a time of joy for you and this is a time of happiness and well-being. Unfortunately, for many of us, it is also a time of grief. And oftentimes we're grieving loved ones that we would love to have here with us during these times who have passed. My guest today, Emily Thoreau Thoret, author, host, and speaker and the facilitator of the Grief and Happiness Alliance talks with us today about her experiences through grief and her incredible books, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief and the Grief and Happiness Handbook. These are wonderful ways that we can deal with our feelings during the holidays and how we can move towards happiness. In this interview, it's just so heartfelt and really actually so joyful and inspirational as I talk with Emily about her own grief experience, losing two husbands, and then how she moved into living and thriving and loving her way through grief. So please join us for this inspirational episode. I'm Stephanie James, psychotherapist and transformation coach. And you are listening to Igniting the Spark, where each week we bring you inspirational guests to help you ignite your joy, happiness, and well-being. Together, we can illuminate the world. Emily, so happy to have you here on The Spark. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Well, and you're seeing us from, is it Hawaii? Yes, from Maui. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. That's one of my favorite places, actually. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, how fabulous. Well, I have to tell you, I think it's really interesting that, you know, your incredible work around grief and happiness, I wondered, you know, it coincided for me Last week was the one year anniversary of my father's death. Mm. And I thought, wow, I wish I would have had your book ahead of time. Yeah. I mean, there's so many beautiful things here. And first of all, I think it'd be important to, will you share with the audience a little bit about your own grief journey? Okay. Uh, I've 
dealt with lots of grief over my life. And the most recent two people to die for me, actually three counting my sister, but I had two husbands die. Jacques died in 2006 and Ron died in 2017. And as much as you think you're prepared for something like that, it's not so much. <laughs> and my husband Jacques was a bioethicist and his specialty was living and dying. And so we had talked lots about dying, living and dying. And when it came right down to it, I thought I was pretty prepared because he was sick for two years before he died. But I was lost. I was just really, really lost and spent a lot of time uh, by myself and trying to figure out what to do. And I never dreamed I'd get married again, but then I met Ron <laughs> and I did, and I'm happy I did. And life was really different with him. They were as, as different as they could possibly be. And I learned with Ron to very much live in the moment. And so that kept everything uh, always good. You know, in, in this moment, things are always good. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter what else, not before or after or anything. And when he died, we had moved to Maui two years before he died because he lived here a long time before I met him. And that's where he wanted to be when he realized how ill he was. So we moved here. And so when he died, it's like, okay. I'm in the most remote place in the world, hardly know anybody, <laughs> and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I knew I didn't want to move back to the mainland because I just, I love it here. It's such a beautiful place to live, uh, not just beauty in, in the scenery, but beauty in the spirit of aloha that permeates Hawaii. And it that's just really great. So... I started writing a lot. I'm I am a writer. I I have taught writing at the university level for most of my career and I also um was writing to help me to just work through. I'm a I'm a voracious journaler. I do that all the time. And the more I wrote, the more I thought, you know, the kind of writing I'm do that's helping me, I could teach other people how to do. So that's kind of where I got started in this whole thing. And that that worked out really well. And then um, several months after uh, Ron died, a good friend of his died on the mainland. And he was much younger than Ron. We were family friends, lived a few blocks apart. And I knew that his wife had no idea what to do because they weren't at that age where people die. <laughs> and I was very concerned about her. And had I been living there, I'd be there helping her out and doing what I could. So I thought, what can I do from this far away? So what came to me was to write her uh, and mail to her in the mail uh, a note every week for the first year. And I really thought that that was, that was going to be a good idea. But at the same time, I thought I better make sure I have 52 different things I can write about before I start on this project. <laughs> so I, I brainstormed a list and sure enough, I came up with 52 different things and I looked at it and I said, this is an outline for a book. 
And so that's that's kind of where my books were born. And I went on with that book and with uh, it continuing to teach the the writing classes had moved online because of the pandemic, but I, I was still doing them. But I kept feeling like there was something missing and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I remembered I had read a book after Jacques died called Happy for No Reason. And I remember seeing the title of the book and saying, well, I have no reason to be happy. My husband died, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I read it and I thought, hmm, this is interesting. Maybe it could happen. So I ran across Marcy's name again. So I got my copy of the book out and I looked at it and I said, that's what's missing. It's the happiness because everybody focuses on the sadness of grief and goodness knows there's plenty of that. But one thing that you hear people say all the time when somebody uh, they love died, it, they would say something like uh, for the remaining spouse or, or sibling or whatever it is, they, they'd say, I, I know they'd want you to be happy. And I thought when I put that together, I thought, yeah, that's that's what's missing. So that's where my grief and happiness podcast was born, which led to me creating a, a new group instead of just a writing group, but a grief and happiness group. Uh, but I wasn't sure grief and happiness was going to go over because whenever I'd say anything about grief and happiness to anybody, they'd go, uh, those two words don't go together, or that's an oxymoron or something like that. <laughs> so I I thought I'll I'll try it out. So I invited uh, several people from around the country to go through a, like a pilot program process with me. And when we finished it, they said, you got to do this. This isn't out there anyplace else. You, you really need to introduce this, this concept to the world. And so I, I did. And I also wanted to make sure that nobody had to pay for it because I believed that people uh, shouldn't have to pay for making them feel better and feel happy. That just didn't seem right to me. And so I explained that to the group and they said, well, that's okay. We'll just form a nonprofit organization and pay for all your expenses so you can do this without charge to people. And that, that helped in a couple of ways besides paying the, the expenses. The other thing was it gave a perceived value to what we were doing, because often when you give something away for free, there's people don't think that there's value there. Like they, they might come to the first session and never come back, or uh, they can talk themselves out of it saying, well, it's free. So, you know, <laughs> you get what you pay for sort of a thing. So this way we, we let people know that they have this resource available to them because of the generosity of this nonprofit organization. So that's where the the whole thing, how it kind of rolled out. And, and, and when I formed that, that new nonprofit organization, we also published my second book, which is the Grief and Happiness Handbook. And my Grief and Happiness cards just came out too, that are those 52 notes that I wrote to my friend on one side of the, the cards, there's the note. And on the other side, there's a, a picture of beautiful Maui that I've taken just because it cheers me up to take those kind of pictures. And I thought maybe it would cheer people up to, to get to look at them. And they've, they've been very successful. People just love them, love having them. So 
beautiful, Emily, you know, and I, I love that you've taken something. This to me is such a, such a theme in my life that I, I just really love and respect is this journey of our difficult and challenging times that then become this match point that ignites something within us that become our gift to the world. And it sounds like that was what happened with you. It, it really did. And one thing that I, I often say, and people can be surprised when I say it, is that I'm happier now than I ever have been. I, I truly think, I, I don't think, I know that I have found my life's purpose. And all that I do is based around that. And it makes me happy. That's so wonderful. It, it, then it becomes that beautiful like infinity sign as you're giving out and then this beautiful energy is coming back to you. I think that's when we know we're living our purpose. You know, that's yes. that that beautiful piece. And I want to make sure that people know your first book is called Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So important. So I want to ask you some questions around this, Emily, if you're okay. open to this, because I absolutely what what in your experience is the best way we can deal with our grief? Well, when people come to me with that question, especially in, in early grief, the first thing that I always tell them is to practice good self-care, because that seems to be the first thing to go when um, somebody is is in grief they I, I'm sure that you've heard or maybe even experienced uh, staying in bed, not taking a shower, not eating or not eating or eating too much or not moving, not uh, maybe you went to the gym and you stopped doing that or you went on walks around the neighborhood and you stopped doing that. So that that sort of thing is is the first thing because it's it's like that um, thing when you fly where they say put the oxygen mask on you first that you can't do anything else until you've taken care of you and so that that's the first step always yeah i think that's so important and it's also so difficult for us you know it's difficult for us when we're not grieving mm -hmm. and then it sounds like it becomes even more paramount when we're grieving and you're absolutely right. It's it's that whole thing of unless we are taking care of ourselves, we're kind of operating from that empty cup. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So the, the importance of doing that. And so, and you know, and you and you you were just talking about this a little bit, you know, this in moments of grieving, when we find happiness, sometimes we feel guilty. Mm -hmm. You know, and I definitely, I've had clients that this goes on sometimes for years. Mm -hmm. So how can we let go of that guilt to allow ourselves those moments of happiness? One of the things that I do that I absolutely love, and so I, I teach it a lot. I'm actually teaching a, a, a class right now in journaling is to, to write in, in a journal and when you have that kind of feeling of, of uh, see, I, I can't believe I smiled or, you know, I, why am I laughing? I can't do that. I, I say, write about that in your journal and write about how you're feeling and, and maybe why you think you're feeling that way. And then when you finish writing, write something back to you from the person who died, asking them, 
what do you think about me being happy? Or is it okay with you <laughs> if I'm happy? And generally, when they write something like that, they remember that their loved one said, I just want you to be happy. And it gives them permission in a way that, that nothing else does because they, they feel that they're getting it from their loved one, that it's okay and please be happy. Yeah. What a powerful process. I love that. Writing it down is so powerful because our brains are so slippery. And if we try to just hold on to, okay, they really wanted me to be happy the next moment, we're like, yeah, but I shouldn't be happy. Mm -hmm. So I love this writing it down, writing down all the reasons you feel guilty. And then asking that question, you know, how would you feel to the one that's departed if I was happy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a powerful process. You know, one of the things in your book that you were talking about is in your books, your workbook and the other is the importance of saying yes. Talk Absolutely. a little bit about that. <laughs> what What is the importance of saying yes? And what does that pertain to? Well, I was the kind of person who had a knee-jerk reaction to just about everything as no, or I can't do that. It's not appropriate for me to be doing that at this time. Or, you know, I was making up all kinds of things that I was telling myself that didn't necessarily have anything to do with the truth. And Jacques died in February. And when New Year's Eve rolled around, I thought, I have got to do something besides sitting on the couch because that was kind of what my life had become. I'd, I'd go to work and I'd come home and I'd sit. I'd go to bed, I'd get up, go to work, come home and I'd sit. <laughs> and it wasn't like I was watching TV or reading or anything. I just felt so blank and I couldn't get myself together. And I said, I'm, I'm the only one that can bring me out of this. I've got to figure out something to do. And I had written uh, New Year's resolutions in the past. And as with most people, <laughs> by February, we even forgot what they were, <laughs> let alone that we'd written them down. So I thought, what is one thing, if I just focus on one intention for the whole year, what could I do that, that would help me the most? And it came to me almost immediately, and it was accept invitations. And I thought, well, that's wrong. I don't know where that came from because nobody's inviting me anyplace, <laughs> which frequently happens when somebody dies. They, people don't know what to do with them, even if they've been good friends and done lots of things together before. They just don't know what to do. So I said, okay, I am making a commitment for this year to say yes when somebody invites me to do something. And boy, the doors opened up and I had experiences you wouldn't believe. It was it was a miracle, really. The different things I got to do, the people I met, the getting out of uh, my own wallowing and self-pity and having something to focus on that I felt was relevant and helpful and that I was giving back to my community, to society in general, with all these different invitations that I got that I accepted. And the more I said yes, the better I felt. And it, it was amazing, the, the things that came to me. I really don't think it wouldn't have happened because I probably wouldn't have been 
looking for it or recognizing it. I would have been talking myself out of each of each one of the opportunities that came my way had I not made that commitment to say yes. And I'll give you a couple of examples. The, the first thing that happened was I got invited to be on the editorial board for the newspaper. <laughs> it was a one-year term. I never would have thought of something like that. I hadn't been that involved in, in the press before. I had written at one point uh, an editorial for them when they requested that I do that. And I, I guess they remembered me from that and they invited me. And it was an amazing experience. I met so many people and we were deciding what would be published and what wouldn't be published. That's a big responsibility. It was a huge newspaper and I, I really loved it. Had incredible conversations, met fascinating people. And that was just one thing. I also got invited to be a community member on the ethics committee at the local or at the county medical center, and that's really important work where you make decisions for people who either can't make them for their for themselves or they don't have anybody else that can make decisions for them. And so they bring it to the ethics committee and say, well, what under these circumstances, what's the most ethical thing we can do for this patient? And that was really interesting. But it went on from there. I got invited to create a film festival, which I did. I got invited to be a member of the crew for endurance bicycle racing, which I didn't even know that existed before, but the trainer I was going to was an endurance cyclist who set records all the time on these really long, like race across America tour <laughs> tours. And, and that was fascinating. Each, each one of these things, I was meeting different people. I got invited to go with friends to South Africa. So I did. And in the past, I'm not sure I would have been saying yes to any of this. And there were a whole lot more things. Those are those are just some of the things that are popping into my mind right now. And I found that although I might have thought I don't have time to do all this, I did. And I always had time for whatever it was that I said yes to. And it always was an incredible experience with meeting new people, with doing things of service, of doing things that were just fun or exciting. And I didn't have time to sit on my couch at home anymore. Wow, that is so incredible. I love that so much because there's this huge thing of you made a commitment to yourself and you put it out to the universe and just said, I'm saying yes. And then these incredible experiences that you never would have experienced came into your life. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it's something that I've carried forward. I didn't just do it that year. I think I discriminately discriminate a little bit more because when you start doing that, you can get overwhelmed with things with over with opportunities. So I consider them now. Generally, I write about them in my journal when I have an opportunity and I'm not quite sure whether it's it's right for me. And I don't take things on that I am not fully committed to. I, I just because maybe somebody I really care for asked me to do something. If it's not something that, that resonates with me, I feel that it's better for me not to say yes in, in that situation. So this isn't just going into things blindly. 
it's uh, it's being mindful of what you do and what you commit to. Yes, that makes perfect sense. The importance of doing that. So you, like you said, you can be fully invested and really feel good about what you're doing. Yes. Well, and we need to make a, have a quick break, but when we come back more igniting the spark with Emily Thoreau threat, stay tuned. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. And we are back. Thank you for joining us. So excited to have you here, listener. We're just having one of those really important conversations about grief and happiness and how we can love and live our way through grief with author and amazing woman. I don't even know how <laughs> I don't even know how to describe you. You you're you're just um such a light, Emily. We're here with Emily Thoreau Threat. And Emily, when we were on break, the thought that came to me was so often people say, well, how long is appropriate grieving? When should I be over this? I hear that all the time. It's it's very common when someone realizing that they're either in grief or, or feeling stuck in grief they they wonder that when when will this be over when will i be cured when when does it stop and i believe that it doesn't and that's okay don't don't panic <laughs> because it it changes it changes as you move forward and what happens is you hold that love in your heart for as long as you're alive because just because somebody died didn't mean the love went away. The love still exists. And I I just uh, thought about that with my husband, uh, Jacques. When he died, I didn't feel unmarried, if that makes mm-hmm, any sense. Because mm-hmm. I'd, I'd been married to him for 22 years, and I still felt married. and it made it a real challenge when I met Ron because I I had no intention of dating anybody or going out with anybody. And and a a friend of mine talked me into it and I thought, Oh, well, it, you know, won't hurt to just go someplace and be social. Uh, (laughs) But that's not how it turned out. I realized that I, I still had plenty of room for love and it was okay. And we had a beautiful relationship. And I've had when I've had this conversation with people before, and I I say how I, I they're both transitioned now, and I still love them both. I don't feel unmarried to either one of them. And people will go, well, how can you love two different people at the same time? And my answer is, how many children do you have? Because 
Yeah. You know, parents love lots of, you know, I've, I've known people with huge families and they love all of them. They just don't pick out one that's the one that they love and the rest of them are just there. So I, I, I love them. I still love my parents. They've been gone a very long time. And it's because of that love that I do still hold that grief because it would be wonderful to sit here and have a conversation with them right now. Today's my mom's birthday. And I actually, what I'm going to do today is write in my journal to my mom hmm. because that's a way that I, I can keep memories alive. I can, I can feel like I'm keeping in touch. I can find comfort. And all of that is part of grief. That's okay. You, you can grieve a lot of people for the whole rest of your life. And that doesn't have to interfere with your happiness. Yeah. And and when I said at the beginning of the show that I wish I had your book ahead of time, it was because I I don't think that I had a problem being happy in the last year, but I really would. And even though I'm a therapist, I've been doing this 36 years. <laughs> there was that part of me that said, well, I should be feeling better than I did the the day before the anniversary of his death. And I just allowed myself exactly what you're saying. I, I cried, I journaled, I looked through old pictures. And then when I woke up on the day of his actual death, I felt such peace and just really had that sense of like, he's with me. I feel really, really close to him. And so I think it, it is interesting, you know, even though it's only a week later now, I have peace from that process. It, it's fabulous. That, that's part of good self-care is to do things like that. It it just, it really feels good. I have um, memories that come back to me all the time that I don't live in the past. I don't, you know, dwell on those memories, but I, I think about things that happened and how it affected my life and how wonderful it is. For some reason, I was talking about my dad to somebody recently about Having been his daughter, I met people that nobody else I knew met those people. <laughs> they were incredible people that you kind of kind of wouldn't dream of having an opportunity to meet them in person or shake their hand or get their autograph because I was a big autograph collector. For instance, when uh, this this will indicate how old I am when. Uh, Richard Nixon and JFK were running for president. I was at a convention that my father was at. I, I wasn't really at it. The dad was attending it. But on the days that each of those men spoke to that convention, I, I went to, to see them. And I made my way up to the front of the line, and I actually got to touch JFK. And I got to shake the hand of the vice president of the United States. Wow, you know, <laughs> yeah, and I I could go on and on with all the the different people that I met because of what my dad was doing that I had opportunities for, and it just it it makes me smile all the time when I think about things that my dad did, and my dad uh, traded our home for an ambulance company when I was thirteen years old, and my mother was. Furious, <laughs> she really liked her home. 
<laughs> but dad just saw the potential there and the three of us ran it 24 7 me at 13 and at that time you only had to be 14 years old and have an advanced first aid certificate to be an ambulance attendant my dad was the first aid teacher in for the red cross in the small community where we lived so he made sure i had mine done by the time of my birthday and i went on my first ambulance call as an attendant actually taking care of people on my 14th birthday and that that led to so many things and now i'm the primary owner of the company i have have other family members that that have some shares but i'm the primary owner of that all these years later, we still have that ambulance company. And it was a good idea that dad had to do that. I love that. And, and I also love what you're saying about the importance of being able to reflect on these beautiful memories. It doesn't mean that you're dwelling in the past. It means really mm -hmm. what I'm hearing from you is like, there's this spark that you kind of reignite and you allow that to just glow inside of you for a little bit. And you just can kind of savor those times. Yeah, I, I love it when a memory comes back and I can just smile. And <laughs> sometimes I I used to have people say, what are you smiling about? Now they're used to it because <laughs> I just really am happy most of the time. So. And, I, and again, I want to emphasize the importance to everyone. One of the things you said is that grief will continue and not to be afraid of it. It doesn't always have to be the most present forefront thing in our experience. But we may always have that little tender place where we miss that person and that that's okay. Sure, it does. And things things will pop up, things will happen and catch you off guard. I, I just recently had one of those experiences where uh, when we were, when I was dating Ron, one day he said, I heard this song today and it's our song. Okay. <laughs> he told me the name of it. I didn't recognize it. So he was able to get a recording of it and, and play it for me. And as I listened to the words, I said, yeah, that's like describing us completely. That, that's us. And it's it wasn't your ordinary run-of-the-mill song. But as, as life went on, that song kept coming into play in different ways in our life. And we had one good friend who ended up moving here to Maui when we moved to Maui because we had a, a what we call an ohana, which is the word for family in Hawaii, which is a two-bedroom, one-bath uh, cottage on our property. And she wanted to move to Maui. And we said, well, we've got this cottage if you want to come and stay there. And she became a really big part of our life when she came over at the same time we came over and helping with Ron and everything that was going on with that. And she knew this story about our song. Well, she had a uh, an event a couple of weekends ago that where she had hired these two women to sing in a band and they were incredible they just i couldn't believe how good they were and we were just really enjoying it and she was sitting close to me and the the singer who was a a, a friend of mine too she looked at Sheena and she goes, there's a song I've always wanted to sing for you. And I just never had the chance to sing it before, but I want to sing it today. And it's a Stevie Wonder song. And Sheena got my attention and she goes, if that song is as we'll know Ron is here. And I thought, 
chances are, are it won't be, but wouldn't it be cool if it was? And it was, and they knocked it out of the park. It was a fabulous, fabulous. And both Sheena and I just sat there and cried through the whole thing. And my poor friend who was singing was going, what did I do? You know, I, <laughs> I wanted them to feel happy because the, the words of the song are ultimately really pretty positive. But uh, and she didn't know that connection, but we did. And we just knew that, I, I I felt him with us and he yeah. was celebrating with my friend for celebrating what she was celebrating that day. Oh, that's so beautiful. I got head to toe chills with that oh. <laughs> <laughs> because I think we, that, that, that still happens that we get signs, right? There's things yes. that show up that say this loved one is still with us. And so their love doesn't stop either. That's right. I, I, I really believe that. As I said, it was a little bit of a challenge for me to to be with Ron after I'd been married to Jacques. And he he wanted early on, we knew that we were just really, really good together. And he thought we should get married. And I still had that lingering, but I'm not unmarried feeling. So I it, it took me four years. And we had even purchased wedding rings, you know. We just hadn't uh, gotten to that next step of actually getting married. And on December 26th of 2010, I was looking at the calendar the day after Christmas, and I noticed that New Year's Day was going to be 1111. So it was 2011 with the first day of the first month. And I said out loud, wow, that'd be a neat day for a wedding. And Ron said, I'll make the arrangements. And he did. <laughs> <laughs> so and we, we had what I, I kind of called a pop-up wedding because <laughs> we didn't have a, lo a whole lot of time to put it together, but it was beautiful. We had everything we would have wanted to have. And it was, uh, it was just a, a beautiful wedding and it was the right time for us finally. But now or I should say, and now all the time I'm having those four numbers pop up together or just one, one, one will come up the those. And it's always like when I I'm think, I wonder what Ron would have said about that, up it pops. It And it's most frequently on the clock, but it comes up other places too. And I, it doesn't surprise me anymore. I just know it's there. And I always smile and say, thank you. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, see, I love that. And you know, that's, I have that experience with so many of my clients that will tell me that as well. And I've had that own, like, as, uh, as I shared, I've had that experience myself. Um, and what a wonderful blessing when it shows up in those signs and we see those repeated signs over and over again. Yeah. So wonderful. Well, I do have one more question before we start wrapping up, because I'm really curious. One of the things that you talk about, too, in your book is how we can use gratitude to deal with mm -hmm. loss. And I think gratitude is so essential. Absolutely. It, for everybody, everybody needs to, I shouldn't say needs to, it would uh, be wonderful for everybody to recognize their gratitude and express it. And what happened to me, again, in that long period of time with Jacques, where I was sitting on the couch, 
I had a, a, a friend tell me that I should watch the movie The Secret. And I said, oh, that's, I don't think that's my thing. I don't really know what it's about, but it, uh, and it blew it off. And I had another friend tell me the same thing. And these friends didn't really know each other, but they found out they had both done that. So the two of them got together. <laughs> Finally, one of them brought it over to my house on a DVD and said, play it now. And I said, okay. And I watched it and I was kind of questioning as I went through it, what this had to do with me and what it had to do with grief. And when I got to the end and I went to put the DVD in the box, there was a, a paper in the the box on, on the back of, uh, of the cover image that said, write down 10 things you're grateful for immediately with my cynicism and how I was dealing with things at the time. I said, I don't have anything to be grateful for. My husband died. And as soon as I said that to myself, I realized there had to be a reason that these people wanted me to, to see this so bad. So let me just see what I can figure out. I'm sure there won't be 10 things, but maybe I can think of a couple things. Well, I wrote 10 things easily and quickly. And when I did that, I thought, well, I wonder what else I'm grateful for. It became an obsession with me. I, I kept thinking, oh, I'm grateful for that. And oh, isn't that flower beautiful? And, you know, my breakfast tasted so good this morning. Whatever it was, it, the gratitude was always positive. And I was being able to get myself out of a negative or neutral zone into positivity. And I've, I've made it a habit since then with, with my journaling, I write at least three things that I'm happy for every day. And I don't say just what I'm grateful for, like I'm grateful for my house, you know, <laughs> I don't do that. Mm -hmm. I write why, what, what it, about this thing is uh, what brings me this gratitude and joy and smiles and so it's it's not a short thing that I write about it. And the more I do that, the happier I am because I realize that my life is full of things to be grateful for. And the more grateful I am, the more things I have to be grateful for. And that that made a huge difference for me. Wow. And that really is the secret. Mm -hmm. That is. That was that secret they were telling me about. It's the secret and, to happiness, right? To really yeah. focus on what you're grateful for. And and that movie too. Uh, I've I've ended up knowing three people who were in the movie. Uh, one of them, Jack Canfield, did an interview for me when my first book came out. I've got that on my website. Uh, Michael Beckwith turned out to be a childhood friend of Ron. And he actually did Ron's celebration service when he uh, transitioned. And then Marcy Shimoff, who wrote Happy for No Reason, was in the movie. And now I consider Marcy my friend. We've we've done uh, a lot of things together. And it's uh, I never would have dreamed that that was going to happen. So I'm really grateful for that movie. <laughs> yes. How special. What a wonderful all turn of events, you know, full circle. Yeah, just beautiful. Well, Emily, gosh, I can't believe we are out of time and we are at the end of the interview. And I guess I'm just really curious for our listeners, how can they find out more about your books and get your cards? Well, you can um, go on Amazon for the, the books and cards and, and just look them up. They're all there, loving and living your way through grief, the grief and happiness handbook and the grief and happiness cards. 
And our website for the nonprofit organization is griefandhappiness.com. And you can make reservations to come to our weekly gatherings there that you don't have to pay for. And they're, they're really cool. We uh, write together, then we talk about what we wrote, and then we learn a happiness practice every week. So that uh, griefandhappiness.com is, is a good place to go. And there's also a lot more information on loving and living your way through grief.com. And my podcast, Grief and Happiness. I've got almost 200 uh, episodes out now, and you can learn all kinds of things on there. Oh, so wonderful. So wonderful. Well, Emily, as, as we're wrapping up, what would you leave as the essential message for the audience? <laughs> this is funny just popped into my mind that song don't worry be happy <laughs> so that kind of boils it down real simply but it's okay to be happy you can be happy and there's all sorts of ways to get there that are just right there waiting for you to do them thank you emily thank you so much what a joy to be here with you today no thank you i've, I've really enjoyed talking to you There were so many different things I loved about this interview with Emily. I love her perseverance and her joyful spirit and how she has truly shown us in this interview many different ways that we can deal with grief through writing in our journal, saying yes to opportunities as ways of making us happier, and really the importance of self-care after loss and the importance of taking care of yourself first, even though sometimes that can really be difficult for us. I also loved the way she shared with us how gratitude can help us deal with the loss, even when it feels like we don't have a lot to be grateful for, when we even notice the small things in our world to be grateful for. Those are the things that can really help heal our hearts. So I'm so thankful you are with us on this wonderful journey today with Emily Thoreau Threat. And I just wish you love and joy and peace in your heart. You have been listening to Igniting the Spark with Stephanie James. Thank you so much for listening. And a special thanks to my amazing and magical producer, Tony Ficini. You can find Igniting the Spark on all podcast platforms. So make sure you subscribe so you get every inspirational episode. For more information about this show, my books, my films, and my upcoming events, go to stephaniejames.world and ignite your best life. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.